how not to screw up your kids' podcast. So pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 82 and today's episode, Wiring Our Children's Brains, is all about this notion of how do our children's brains develop and how is this notion of neuroplasticity connected to that. Now normally, before I record any podcast, I give myself a bit of an outline and a structure so I know roughly the areas that I'm going to work on. And what I discovered is this is a huge, huge topic and I'm not going to profess in any way to be a supreme expert in this area. So what I'm aiming with this particular episode is to give you a broad brush, sort of early entry level understanding of how our children's brains are wired and they develop through their years of development and this notion of neuroplasticity. I will do some more specific episodes around teen brains, around our Um, much younger children but I just think it's really important that we kind of understand the broad aspect and really in a nutshell um, slightly giving the game away before I even start what I love about this notion about brain development and neuroplasticity is it gives so much hope around this process that wherever our child may be stuck right now wherever we may be stuck right now as parents or adults or caregivers or educators is that that doesn't have to be the end story what we know about our brains in terms of our developing knowledge and there's still so much that's coming out is that we don't we no longer have this brain that we thought matured at 18 and then you couldn't do anything about it and if you had an accident or a fall or and, and aspects of your brain were damaged you couldn't change it what we know in a nutshell is that our brain is constantly evolving and developing and that gives us huge hope for untangling old habits and developing new skills. So we'll look at that a bit more specifically, but broadly, that's what I just love around this whole kind of field and this whole area. And, you know, it was sort of exploding when I was doing my degree and my master's in the 90s. And it's just kind of, it's like rocket fuel. Genuinely, it's something that I feel so passionate about because it, for the sheer premise that actually nothing is absolute things can change even children who are born and have their early years in severe adversity is there can be changes that will then give them a much more positive outcome now what I will say and for those of you who maybe have followed a lot of the kind of big campaigns that are going on particularly around the Royal Foundation and the now Princess of Wales is this the early years are crucial to give us the best foundations for our children and to give our children a heads up so if we can if you're listening to my podcast and you've got children that are under five and you're going to implement some of these things then you are best placed because obviously you've got that opportunity because you have that knowledge but what it also means is if you're listening to this and you've got a 22 year old if you're listening to this and you've got a 13 year old all is not lost if you're listening to this and you're even an adult just listening to it from the perspective of looking at making changes for you, it is not lost. All that happens is as we get older, the notion of neuroplasticity is still there. We just need to put a bit more work into it. So let's start with just some brain statistics. These are not mine. I've um, done a Google search and I've managed to gather some information. So let me give you a few five facts about the human brain. So a baby's brain at birth has roughly 86 billion 
brain cells and we call these neurons. So neurons are the chemical messengers. They are not only in our brain, but they are throughout our bodies and they connect together. The analogy I always think of is that almost like this sort of domino effect that one triggers a message to the next, to the next, to the next. And they happen in such with such speed that as I'm recording now, I'm gesticulating with my hands. That's goodness knows how many neurons are responsible for my hands moving around. I don't think about it consciously. It just happens, but it happens because of this domino effect. But our brains are also, that's where we have this huge number of these neurons. And that's what we're really thinking about today with this, when we're talking about brains and when we're talking about neuroplasticity. So although a newborn has about the same number of neurons as an adult, the brain itself is only 25% of the adult size. So that's fact number two. Number three, infants' neurons are only are connected by only... So we talk about this idea, we've got these neurons, but they're connected because they send these messages together. They're like these domino effects. So whilst they might have all of these neurons, the connections between the neurons of uh, uh, roughly around 50 trillion new connections, which we call synapses. It's just the way that they particularly connect. But they've got, in essence, a, a young child has got roughly 50 trillion neural connections compared to an adult that has 500 trillion of these. But by the age of three, those connections have grown from their 50 trillion up to a thousand trillion and 90% this is why we talk so much about the emphasis on the early years 90% of brain development is completed by the age of five and then the final bit of brain development happens by the time we're about 23 25 and I'll come back to that because it's a really important aspect around why we get these challenges or we feel we're getting our challenges with teens is because it's part of this like final development so those give you some statistics around it and there's been lots of analogies certainly I remember when I was doing my psychology degree and my master's we often talk about the brain being a supercomputer and it is it has this phenomenal capabilities and we only use a fraction of it but because it has these phenomenal capabilities it means that it is able to repair itself restore itself and make these phenomenal connections what's crucial to also understand is that as the brain is developing different areas of our brain are typically responsible for different things so when you look at brains you'll have an area that's maybe responsible for our physical movement there'll be other areas that are responsible for language for emotion for maybe problem solving for analytical for mathematical skills so we get these kind of areas that that are sort of specifically seen under scans that light up when certain activities take place but they are linked together in complex ways if I want to be riding a bicycle obviously I'm going to be activating aspects of my brain that are related to the physical movement but there will also be act areas of my brain that will be activated for example if I've not ridden a bicycle for five or six years because it will be pulling on old memories so it'll be pulling on sort of some of the the memories the memory side of my brain so it's incredibly complex but that's kind of the basics what I would like to do is I'm going to sort of approach this by looking at sort of four key broad brush things I guess that we ought to know about in terms of brain development and what's so crucial about it and then as usual there'll then be a 
resource at the end. So the first one is that brains are built through connections and disconnections. And I think we often sort of focus on the connections bit, but we forget the disconnections bit. So in the first few years of life, more than one million new neural connections are formed every second. And this comes from our experience. We'll talk a little bit more about the nature-nurture debate next, but in essence, that's what happens. So our connections are built throughout our experience with our lives. And if we think about these neurons that already exist, they are then they then become connected based on what we do. These connections are formed. And there's a very sort of famous rule that I that always is kind of so supremely important for us to remember and that I always remember is this notion that neurons that fire together wire together. And there was a brilliant analogy that uh, Mo Gaudat gave on a podcast interview that I thought really just explains this notion. So we've got these billions and billions of neurons in our brain, but they have to be connected in some ways in order for them to do something. So the analogy that he gave is if you imagine the really old system by which phone calls were connected through a switchboard, you'd have a physical person that would then patch you through. So they would put one sort of connection at one point and then another. So let's say I'm Egyptian. We often used to phone go when we were living in England, we would then phone back to Egypt. So that would have literally been a I, we, we would have called the operator and our call would have been patched from where we were. So click goes in and then it would have patched us through to the family member we were phoning in Egypt and that would then connect. So what you're actually doing is two separate neurons and what we're doing is we're connecting one to the other. That's the kind of physical aspect. This is how connections are built. So if I do that not very often, then it has to almost be manually done. But let's say I decide that I'm going to phone my auntie every single day what then happens is the operators then oh it's mary hand she's given that call again to her aunt what rather than actually me patching it each time she calls through the operator well i don't need to do that anymore because i know she's going to make that phone call every single day what then happens is those connections are made permanently so that it just happens. And that is in essence what happens when we're talking about neural connections and we're talking about this neurons that fire together, wire together. When our children do things repeatedly, when we do things repeatedly as, as adults, that what then happens is that those connections between those neurons become wired together. So it doesn't mean that you couldn't do it before, but it was a conscious slower process. Once you've done that, so often it becomes habitual and then it becomes something that you don't need to think about you just do automatically so you think about all of the things that are young developing children are learning they're learning to walk they're learning to talk they're learning to communicate their needs they're learning to understand their emotions all of these aspects of their development should they repeat patterns of behavior patterns of emotions default thinking so we've got to remember that this isn't just what our children physically learn but it's also their thinking patterns, how they approach life from that perspective. What then happens is those connections are then made so they become habitual. And obviously there are pluses and there are also minuses to this because what they learn, what becomes habitual can obviously be great, wonderful things that we want our children to be able to do, but they can also be wiring certain patterns that are maybe not as 
helpful for their well-being, helpful for their mental health. So it's thinking that those connections are happening, whether we want them to be positive connections or whether they end up becoming less than adaptive, less than helpful connections. So when we're looking, so you can see now why those early years are so important, because if we can make sure that those connections are adaptive, they're helpful, they're appropriate, they nurture our children's well-being, then that's great. If they don't, it doesn't mean that we can't reverse that. But obviously, if you've now got a hard automatic route from A to B or A to D via B and C, we need to unlearn that. So it means that it's just going to have to require a bit more effort. So those are how the connections are made. The disconnections are made during the period of lifetime in terms of what we call pruning. So in much in the same way as if you have a plant, a rose bush or whatever it is that you prune where you cut off certain areas is that there'll be certain connections that would have been formed in early childhood that we then just don't use anymore. And so what happens is the brain wants to naturally, it's going to prune, it's going to cut off those connections because they're not connections that have been used regularly enough in order to warrant. So if we think about broadband, it's like that's not... You know, when we have the connections, that's super fast broadband. It happens really, really quickly. And then if we have certain parts of that route that aren't used regularly, then what we then do is we literally prune them, we cut them off. And that happens throughout our development, throughout our brain development, throughout our childhood, and then well into adulthood. So it's, you know, that's for me is such a crucial thing that we understand as parents is that our children get this through the input that they have. So let's let's move on to the second point. So the first one is that brains are built through connections, these neural connections and these disconnections that happen through pruning. Number two is this whole idea about nature and nurture, and they both influence brain development. If we think about it from, from the aspect of sort of a computer analogy is pretty much garbage in garbage out not that i'm suggesting in any shape or form that any of you are pouring garbage into your children's as part of their input but we need to remember that what our children experience throughout their lives in terms of the kind of environment that's the nurture part is going to have a profound impact on the connections that they subsequently create and then the connections that are disconnected. So the idea is that life experience will activate certain neurons that will create these new brain connections and potentially strengthen existing ones. So it's about remembering that and then that those then become our super fast broadband, our super fast highways. And so besides sort of influencing the architecture and how that happens in terms of our children's brain, early life experiences can have other lifelong effects in terms of our children's um, sort of brain development. And there has been a huge amount, a large amount of sort of scientific evidence and it's mounting and that actually indicates that these life experiences not only impact how the brain develops, but from an epigenetic perspective, it actually affects the gene expression. So let me try and explain this as best as I can. So we're born with a genetic makeup. Genes are almost like our blueprint in terms of our eye colour and our complexion, our height, our hair, all of these things. That's the sort of the absolute nature part. But what we know now, and maybe that's another episode that we can go into a bit more detail, 
is this notion about epigenetics is that not only can we, we that we can actually change the way that those genes are expressed through our experiences in life and I guess at the easiest route is trying to think about it on the basis that, that our genes will give us some form of expression like a light switch but our environment will then determine whether that switch goes on or off and then we'll ad- we'll adapt and kind of modify how we live how we then affect it affects other things and so that is why when we talk a lot or when we see a lot of research evidence around identical twins well identical twins share a hundred percent of their genetic makeup they are completely that's what that's why they're identical non-identical twins share the same genetic makeup as they would do with any other sibling they just happen to have been present together and are born together so what we know is that even with identical twins that share a hundred percent of their genetic makeup is how they experience the world their environment their nurture impacts their brain development so they don't they're not identical in every other aspect their brain doesn't develop identically because how they experience aspects of their life has an impact on then how the brain adapts and changes and interacts so it's really crucial to understand this notion that it's a combination of nature and nurture and that's a crucial part for parents who are then concerned around their children's mental health maybe you're you've struggled with anxiety a lot as an as a young child and you're having children and you're concerned about the how that might impact your children it's this idea that they may have their inherent aspects of that genetic makeup because that's part of you know how we replicate as adult, as as human beings but it's how that interacts with their environment that's crucial and that's what makes it so incredibly powerful this understanding about brain development and neuroplasticity is that if we can be aware and really conscious in those early years but then beyond those early years that it's the input that our children get in terms of their environment that will impact how those genes are expressed and potentially could alter the way that the genes are expressed already that can be really powerful and i say that because i say that because it's a positive thing it's not a negative thing it isn't something we should be worried about it empowers us it means that we can truly help our children make different experiences but for me what's crucial about that is it might fundamentally change how you parent or some of the things that you're exposed to so for example if we think about the input that our children are getting through that nurture side is you know, what, what, what's your child watching? What's your child listening to? What are they surrounded by? Because that's the critical mass around the input that they're getting in terms of input to that brain development. So it's really thinking about, you know, what is that input? You know, is their input very much around sort of negative scaremongering, worrying things, or are we managing to input lots around being grateful, lots about being happy? which is why when we talk about this practice of gratitude, why it's so crucial, because it's that input. That's what's going into your child. So it's really thinking about nature gives our children a certain aspect, but nurture is the really powerful bit because that happens once our children are born. You know, it's that whole, those neural connections can be made because of what our children experience in terms of their environment. So if we can keep them you know, if their experiences, if what they live day in, day out, and what they, you know, the input that we can 
control to some aspect. We can't control completely because our children go to school. They make friends. They talk about things. They have access to digital devices that then they stumble on various different content. So it's just thinking about, as a parent, what can we do in that area? Because I think that that's sort of a crucial thing. So that's, we've talked about the fact that our brains are built through these connections, but they're also, we get these disconnections through pruning if we simply don't use certain connections regularly. And one of the kind of crucial aspects about that is, you know, our children are born with the ability to discern sounds across all the world's languages when they're very, very young. But what then happens is as they get as they get older, that sort of ability to discern all the different phonetic sounds across all the world's languages diminishes and it becomes very language specific. So whilst I'm not a massive fan of these sort of critical periods and if your child doesn't do this by this age, then it's lost because we know with neuroplasticity that we can we can change, we can adapt, we can modify, is those critical periods, those crucial periods in early childhood are just windows where it's easier. So children who are raised in multi-language homes then obviously are exposed to the sounds of different languages for longer. And so therefore they find it that whilst their early language development is quite often they don't always typically, this is very broad brush and not necessarily specific, but children who are growing up in a, in a home where t- more than two languages are spoken may then not speak quite as early as a child who's being brought up in a family where they're only wo- learning one language. What then happens is when, th- when they, their language comes, it is more complex because it's obviously across two different languages. Now, that doesn't mean if your child isn't exposed to those phonetic sounds when they're younger, that they're never going to be able to learn a second language or a third or a fourth or a fifth. Absolutely not. It just simply means that the older we become, the more difficult it is. I'm 53. I could still learn a new language without any issues whatsoever. It just means I'm going to have to put more work into it than a two-year-old, than an eight-year-old than a 15-year-old. So it's about remembering this idea that brains are built through connections and disconnections. Nature and nurture influence the developing brain. Together as such, we're born with a certain amount of expression, but the environment creates the rest. The third one, which I've touched on already, is this idea that the brain's capacity for change will decrease with age, but it is not like a cutoff. You don't reach a certain age and it's like, uh-uh, it's switched off now, nothing can change. The brain matures at around 23 to 25 years of age, which is why we often get these sort of challenging conflicts with our teens. And it's the prefrontal cortex, so the bit at the front, which deals with problem solving, rational thinking, um, all of these sorts of things, weighing up pros and cons, is the last to develop. Um, but new connections can still be made. They are just slower than they would be earlier on. And obviously around that time when we're having that final redevelopment around the ages of between 11 and 23 and 25 is we're getting a lot of this synaptic pruning. We're getting a lot of these connections which haven't been used then becoming to be disconnected. So it doesn't mean that New connections can't be formed. We just know that we have more optimal times in which case in which those connections can be made. And it is through those early formative years in that sort of naught to five is generally where a lot of those um, early sort of experiences can have a real impact in terms of brain development, 
but that can go on well through even at 53 and there's been lots of research evidence that has suggested actually as we get older one of the ways that we can keep our brain active and healthy is by giving ourselves new experiencing learning new things and we can keep that active and that brain as as plastic as possible so that it is constantly learning and acquiring new skills whether it's my daily wordle don't know if you do it but i do wordle every single every single day whether it's that, whether it's learning a new skill, is just so important because it keeps that neuroplasticity going well beyond that childhood and keeps us, in lots of ways, keeps our brain young. So it's being able to, you know, we're not going to get hung up about this. If you're listening to this and you've got an eight-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old, you're thinking, oh my goodness me, I've, you know, it's too late. It's never too late. You just have to remember that if we're looking at rewiring something, sometimes we have to unravel things. So when we're looking at new habits, when we're looking at new skills, it just takes longer. But what I think is so crucial is it helps us understand that if I want to, I don't know, maybe I've got a a messy 22-year-old and we're trying to get them to be more organised, we have to learn that that the neurons that wire together fire together. So those habits are entrenched. So what we need to understand is that we need to break that habit before we can, and then create a new one. We're doing two things at the same time, you know, rather than them constantly taking the path that has been most travelled, we're trying to kind of steer them in a different direction to walk a new path. And that's going to take a while before it develops and matures and becomes one that they can walk quite regularly. So it just means, I think, it helps us be a little bit more compassionate to ourselves when we're trying to learn new things, but also a bit more compassionate when our children, because we can then understand it isn't going to be an overnight thing. It isn't something that's going to be quick. It will take time. And then it helps us remind us to keep praising and focusing on the reward around the process, because that, in essence, is what we're doing because over time that will happen. And that's what we talk about when we talk about growth and uh, mindset. It is this notion that when you're practicing these things, in the same way as if you were you know, picking up weights in order of building definition in your muscles, you're building up the weights to build definition and connections within your brain. And that's why that's such a great analogy for children and helping them understand that every time they do something, you know, the connections are being made and being made. And obviously when our children are younger, those connections can be made much more quickly. You know, maybe in a a number of weeks, as they get older, that then becomes a number of months. So it's just remembering that that, whilst the capacity for change decreases with age, it just requires more effort. So the first three, before we do the last one, is that brains are built through connections and disconnections nature and nurture influence the developing brain the third is the brain's capacity for change decreases with age but never stops the final one is this idea that toxic stress ultimately damages and impacts the architecture how these connections are formed so what we know is that differences in early life experience and early childhood can result in differences in terms of brain structure so children who are who grow up in extreme poverty there is been evidence to suggest that they've got lower gray matter not only in volume but also in terms of their academic achievement children who experience early neglect tend to perform less well in cognitive abilities 
and that it can affect the way that the white matter within your brain is organized and that the you know the functioning around that prefrontal cortex and it can impact emotional development and so what's crucial to this you know when you're listening to this the reality is if you are an educator then it's really important to understand those early childhood experiences and how that might impact that child's access to learning readily in those moments but it also means that we can significantly change these and if you're a parent listening to this it's not necess- you're not necessarily your child's not necessarily going to be experiencing toxic stress all the time but they may be experiencing chronic stress and chronic stress is more of this insidious little bits of stress constantly if you've got a child who worries if you've got a child who doesn't feel very confident the way they appraise a particular situation or look at a particular situation remember my seesaw analogy that I use a lot the way that they perceive those situations is going to impact how those connections are made because what's going to happen is they're probably more likely to tune into the aspects that affirm their concern about a situation so it's being aware that that will be impacting those connections and then it's helping them learn new ways of coping look at new ways of data input because if their input particularly around the chatter you know we're talking about brain development in terms of what they see in their environment but don't forget how other people interact with them is only one piece how they interact with themselves in terms of the internal chatter their internal dialogue what they keep saying to themselves about their experience of life is as profound if not more in my view than what somebody else says to them because what somebody else says to them is often much less there's much less volume of that but we live with the chatter in our head constantly and that's why it's so important that we talk to our children about their internal dialogue it's so important that we help them understand that our thoughts are not truths and that how that impacts the choices that we make because those thoughts impact how we feel which then impact the behavior that we have which then feeds right into this how our brain becomes wired and connected so let me just recap those four So the first one is that brains are built through connections and disconnections. The second is that nature and nurture influence the developing brain. The third is the brain's capacity for change does decrease with age but doesn't stop. And then the fourth one is this idea about the toxic stress damages that brain development and it isn't just not isn't necessarily toxic stress in terms of early childhood experiences of huge adversity it's also that kind of chronic stress that comes from that internal dialogue and that is powerful because it helps us be able to help our children to make those changes so i really hope you found that helpful and what i would love because it will help me and inform me really on what other areas of sort of these wiring and our children's brain development you might want me to do more of is if you can just sort of message us and let us know it's contact at dr mary han if you've got any thoughts if you've got any questions if you're thinking oh gosh okay that's really interesting i'd love to know more about that it will help sort of decide what what we do next with this notion of neuroplasticity and children's brain development so my give this week is going to be these four headings because it helps you have a think about in those four areas what could i be looking at impacting in terms of 
for my child and it's also a really useful reminder so as usual head over to my free resource library which is drmaryhand.com forward slash library where you'll find the link to download not only this week's resource but also the resources across all my podcast episodes all you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access across all of the episodes as ever if you have enjoyed this episode i would be so very grateful if you could review and follow this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time.